All right, dude. Um, Cody Nation's on the line, man. I wonder if this conversation is best for over the phone or if I should have you in studio lying on a couch and me being your shrink and trying to guide you through these difficult times of what's been the Boston Red Sox pennant run, dude? Because how do you feel at this point, man? Are you overwhelmingly like stressed out or do you have a chance to feel pretty good at this point? Uh, at this point, yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel pretty good uh, because quite honestly, going into that Houston uh, series, I, I mean, I just wasn't confident. I mean, the Yankees gave us uh, a pretty good battle there. David Price didn't look good. Uh, Craig Kimbrell didn't look good. Listen, Craig Kimbrell, like bat- Craig Kimbrell almost gave me a heart attack, man. And I don't yeah. live and die by Red Sox baseball. And dude, he's so when he's like on the mound and he does like his little arm thing, like FS1 mm-hmm. was zooming in on just the sweat mm-hmm. pouring from that man. And like what is has to this point, like the biggest pitching situation he's ever been in, in his life, dude. And my heart was literally in my throat and like, I don't right. think I could handle it. And you've been texting me this whole time, um, through like the upset <laughs> and dude, honest to God, this will be the best pot. This will be the funnest podcast I've ever recorded because the text messages I get from you, dude, it's like a soap opera, man. <laughs> like in one minute, you're like, dude, this is so awesome. In the next minute you're like, dude, I'm down in the dumps, man. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know. I don't know. Um, how, what your rating is like on your Instagram and for just your, br- the brand of your podcast. Um, you can you cuss if that's what out. you're you asking. Could probably throw up, you could, you could throw up some screenshots of just the text messages yeah. that I've sent you and just bleep out or, you know, put a line through some of the verbiage if yeah. you want, or the adjectives that I use. But, but yeah, man, um, I, I don't know how, um, I don't know how I really got through some of those games. Uh, quite honestly, I, one of the thoughts that I've had, um, over, over the last couple of weeks is like, how does the bottom of the ninth, uh, or, you know, or just the ninth inning in general compare to like other sports, you know, what is it if you're up by, uh, two, let's say like the Red Sox were against the Astros, um, what is that in comparison to other sports? Is that like, you know, you're up by 10 in a basketball game with two minutes left Man. Is it that you're up by, you know, 10 points in a football game, you know, with four minutes left, you know, what is it? Because Listen. I quite honestly, man, like, I don't think that there's anything that is more nerve wracking than your closer on the mound in the ninth inning, trying to close out a team like the Yankees or the Astros. Dude, here's, here's what I think it is, man. And this is the analogy I just thought of. So basketball and football, any other sport is like playing mortal Kombat on Sega Genesis without the blood code. (laughs) But in oh Major League Baseball, <laughs> it's Mortal Kombat for Jega Genesis with the blood code and Kano ripping your heart out and holding it over your head because Major League Baseball, anything can happen, right? And those and the, all the other mm. three big North American sports, there's a clock. So if you're hockey mm-hmm. or basketball or football, like there's a clock. So if your team's like up or down, like you kind of know what they're working with. But I don't know if right. anything is more unpredictable 
than going into the ninth inning, especially against the Houston Astros, because it doesn't matter if you have a mm-hmm. one run or like a six run lead, because they have a guy named Alex mm-hmm. Bregman, who's who's the baseball equivalent of problem child, because the guy's a little mm-hmm. hustler and that ball in game four, man. That Andrew Benatendi catch is one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. And Bregman hit that ball on the nose, dude, lined it hard. And Benatendi laid out. And, dude, there's no comparison of, like, what could happen in, like, Major League Baseball. Dude, it's like – like, I don't know what to say. Like, like, I could cry one minute and then laugh the next. But no matter what, I need to go to a psychiatrist, buddy. Put me on a couch – I'm just going to lay, dude, and we can treat it just like that, man. You're laying on the couch. I'll, dude, I'll solve all your problems, <laughs> ask you how you feel, whatever it is, man. I appreciate but, like, it. Dude, so let me ask you this, man. So we just watched five games of some of the most dominant, I think, baseball because, like, Justin Verlander mentioned this thing post game, man. There were a lot of injuries on the team, but injuries or not, everyone was playing, and this is a Houston Astros team that is – unbelievably loaded and from a starting pitching standpoint when you run Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander and Charlie Morton and then when you've got guys in the bullpen like Colin McHugh and Lance McCullers Mm -hmm. Jr. who are converted starters who can come out of the bullpen and dominate you for three or four innings I wouldn't have bet any amount of money that the Boston Red Sox would have handled the Houston Astros in five games but they did it and they dominated, man. What's the one thing that stood out in your head as you watched this series where you were like, holy crap, I love what's happening right now? Like, was it the Ben Attendee catch? Was it the JB Jesus, like, hitting them out of the park, man? Like, what stuck out to you in this whole thing? I got to be honest, man. Um, David Price. Yeah. I, I, I mean, just honestly, because even after game four that we won, um, I still wasn't super confident in just our over, you know, just kind of overall with the team. JD Martinez has not really had a good postseason. Mookie hasn't even really had on offense a great postseason. It's kind of just been guys hitting all over the place. And, and I mean, other than the uh, the eight, whenever JBJ hit the grand slam, we haven't really, especially in the Houston series, we didn't really have. Uh, like one big inning. It was always, we would just get one run in two runs in. We always came out hot, um, in the first or the second inning, uh, which I, I felt, you know, would, would put us in a position, you know, and it put us in a good position to, with our pitching and everything. But, um, yeah, David price in the fifth game is really like what I think. I think it not only of course gave David, a boatload of confidence to get a W in the postseason, but it was, it showed like the rest of the team that they can count on David now going into the world series, Kimbrell having a really good um, ninth inning there. So I felt like, I mean, really uh, I think pitching is just the overall thing that I'm coming away from this series going into the world series now really confident in, I mean, even our bullpen, man, no one in their right mind would have picked the the Red Sox bullpen to be better than even the Yankees bullpen, let alone that the Astros bullpen. And just the way that like those guys came in and the way that Cora used them. Gosh, man, it was just, uh, it was really incredible to watch. I mean, 
even though heart attack waiting to happen basically every single game, um, I, it was a little bit more uh, easy going in the fifth game just because I felt uh, I felt like Price really had it going, and he obviously did. I liked um, the way that we were swinging the bats in that game. Um, I felt like Destiny was kind of on our side just with us hitting Verlander the way that we did. Uh, because easily I was chalking that game up as a loss just with Verlander coming onto the mound. But, um, yeah, man, pitching. I think that's it. Dude, I think a lot of that has to do um, – okay, so in Major League Baseball, now, like, managers are hired to, like, carry out the task of the spreadsheet, of the task of, like, yep. the VP and GM and this upper-level management. And I thought about this a lot today, man. And I think a lot of the success we see with David Price has to do with um, everything that Alex Cora has built within this team. Because at this point, there's not a question in my mind. And I'm a, I'm a diehard Cubs fan from Illinois, love Joe Madden. But nobody holds a candle to what Alex Cora does. And one, throughout this whole David Price situation, Alex Cora did nothing but treat David Price like the $217 million pitcher they got. (laughs) And Alex Cora did not treat David Price as this guy who started 10 postseason games and didn't pitch for a lick. It's like Alex Cora didn't give a shit about any of that. And it was a matter of fact, like, Price, you're going out there for game two. The fact that he started David Price on short rest in game five and had him warming up in the bullpen before, it's as if the way Core has managed this whole clubhouse and gave David Price everything he needed to say, I don't give a shit about what's happened because this is where we're at now and this is what we paid you to be, so do it. And it's like David Price was given everything he needed to succeed because there's not another manager in Major League Baseball that is a quarter of aggressive as what Alex Cora is, whether it be the Brock Holt start where he hit for the cycle or pitching Chris Sale, Rick Porcello, David Price, and Nathan Avaldi out of the bullpen. It's like Mm -hmm. he's coming into this thing I don't know what's happened, but definitely every major league manager is like, we're going to do whatever it takes to win. But something with what Alex Cora is doing is he's doing it, but it's like he's injecting this confidence in every single player in the clubhouse to where they're on board with it. And all of a sudden, like David Price is back. Nathan Avaldi was painting corners at 102 miles an hour. Oh Ryan Brazier out of the bullpen. I'd never even heard of the guy. And I think he pitched to like a buck 50 ERA in the postseason at this point. I'm like, what the hell is happening? And then when you factor yeah. in JB Jesus hitting like a buck 70 in the regular <laughs> season, all of a sudden hitting <laughs> bases clearing triples, th- grand slams, three run homers, and you sit back and go, what the heck, man? It's as if there was a literal light switch somewhere that he flicked on mm. and said, okay, boys, go. And that's what's happened, yeah. man. And there's, I could say there are 30 teams in Major League Baseball, and 29 of the managers are order takers. And Alex Cora well, is not, man. I, I think, like, what really, uh, to go along with what you said, I mean, yeah, I do believe that. And, and there's been many times, especially even in the postseason, where I've sort of questioned some of the things that he's done. But I think what, one of the things I was going to say and thinking about while you were talking was that, I mean, Alex Cora was a great player. And look at the teams that he's played on, especially in Boston as well. 
I feel like he is just a really good players manager. He's, he's one of the boys, man. Absolutely. It's yeah. And it's, I mean, it's really hard to come by someone like that. I mean, Aaron Boone, like you just look at it. I'm not saying that I'm, the Yankees had an incredible season. I mean, everyone mm-hmm. was just, especially a lot of Yankees fans were just like, Oh man, this is a terrible team. And I'm like, nah. you guys had like the third best record in baseball. I don't understand. Like, why you guys are so down in the dumps. Like just because you had to play in the wild card. I mean, you were going up against the team that won 108 games in your division. I mean, what are you going to do about it? I mean, I I don't think Aaron did. And of course I didn't watch like a day to day games for, for New York uh, other than when they played Boston. But I mean, Aaron also did a really good job this season. I would question some of the things that he did in the postseason against Boston, but um, I, I don't know, man. I feel like there is definitely something to say for, um, for managers that are younger, that are kind of with this player's mentality, um, and has, have been on a team as a bench coach or something that has had success and then coming and getting a team for their own. Um, I, I think there's really something to be said for that. And some of the moves that Cora made, there's no way that the spreadsheet and the computer told them to make that move, like bringing in Kimbrell for six outs. I I mean, that was, that was a moment where it took me until the next day to sort of figure out maybe in my head why he did that. And I honestly think that, um, he knew and the entire team knew that Kimbrell was struggling and, and no one knew that better than Kimbrell himself. And I feel like as a player, when you're struggling, the only thing that you want to do is get back out there and, and rectify whatever mistakes that you made, try and do better. And I feel like Alex put Kimbrell out there to wear him down and just crossed his fingers and said, go out there, do your job, wore him down and he pulled off the win- he pulled off the save the team gets the win and now all of a sudden the very next night Kimbrel looks like his old self mm-hmm. and it's like he had to wear him down almost like military basic training of like putting you down in the dumps <laughs> and erasing your identity and sort of either creating a new one or bringing back your old identity, like for Kimbrell. And I mean, he looked great um, against uh, in the ninth in game five, man. I mean, I feel like that no other manager would have done something like that. I thought, I honestly thought that he was going to bring Kimbrell in in the eighth. And since price was warming up, I was like, Oh my gosh, is he going to like just, try to switch up the game plan here completely out of left field and bring in price in the ninth. I mean, is that what's going to happen? Because uh, there was just no way, especially with the way he was pitching in the eighth that I was like, there's no way he's coming back out in the ninth. Mm-hmm. but you know, it's, it was crazy, man. It it really was. And I, uh, that move right there, um, is what made me have even more respect for Cora and just <laughs> going into this, this world series. Now I'm not going to question anything he does. 
<laughs> no, man. I mean, to this point, like, the results speak for themselves, dude. To beat the Yankees like they did, to beat the Houston Astros in five games is unreal. And to your point on, like, really running Kimbrel through the grinder, dude, that's what Joe Madden did with Aroldis Chapman in the World Series Game 7 of 2016 because Aroldis had given yeah. up that get three runs and a two-run homer to Rajay Davis. So Aroldis Chapman had blown the game. He was in tears, but then, like, comes out in the ninth inning and gets a one, two, three inning on, like, all breaking balls. And it was yeah. just like something happens, man. And that's – I mean, we talked about this a ton, man, but that's why, that's why I love sports so much because it – pushes the human to like new boundaries and it's like that's like what Cora did with Kimbrel and like what Joe Madden did with her oldest Chapman it's like Michael Jordan flu game stuff to where like it's like just what you said man he you would have never saw that on a spreadsheet to give Kimbrel six outs but Alex Cora is just like it's no different than like being in the workplace where you've got like upper management and then you've got like your normal workers and like no matter how mm-hmm. cool that boss is there's always like some sort of boundary to where like there, there's like a gap between like them and us sure. but with Alex Cora sure. man what you said where you get like this younger guy just turned 43 was a great player and like it all meshes together where it's like almost Alex Cora is like almost like a player manager you know what I'm saying yeah. and like that's just what he, he is he, he, he went and visited Raphael Devers with his family to just like check in on him um, over like right before the season started or something like that. They, they said it. I didn't, I had no idea about it uh, during one of the broadcasts of game four, game five. And, and I was just like, wow, man, like, I think it was game five. I was just like, wow, like, you can just see it in everyone's face. Like when they, when, when I love it, whenever um, the camera will cut to the bench after, you know, a home run or a hit or something like that. And um, there's a lot of managers that, you know, will just kind of be more stoic and more low key whenever their team does something uh, even, even great. And I feel like maybe there, maybe that, that works on certain teams and, I'm I'm sure it does. Uh, But gosh, they cut when they would cut to Alex, like after that grand slam or after JBJ's triple, um, he's so fired up, man. I love I now, like even whenever he got thrown out of the game, he did that for the play. He did that for the player. Mm -hmm. He didn't do that for himself. Like, you know, at at first I was like, Oh my gosh, this is a postseason game, man. How can he get thrown out now? Also, you know, you know, what are you doing? Throw it, throw it Alex Cora out. Like whenever he, you know, just said a couple of things, like <laughs> give him a warning or at least something. But oh, anyways, yeah. you know, it's just, he's backing the players up, man. I, I, I <laughs> he's def- definitely, you know, Francona is always going to have a place in my heart. Of oh, course. Tito's the I, man. I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I love Tito, man. Like I love Tito, but gosh, this, this Red Sox team, the management, I, I really do. Um, I love them. I, I don't know how they, they compare just differently to the Oh four team and, and everyone that was on it. I was a lot younger than too. Um, there's, I just have a great deal of like, I, you know, cause I feel like I'm like the same age as a lot of these guys. And, uh, I don't know. It's just, a it's a really good team to, to be pulling for. Oh yeah, dude. And I honestly think man, the, if, 
the only World Series that would be better than the one we're about to watch would be a Cubs-Red Sox because you would get, like, half the time at Wrigley and half the time at Fenway mm-hmm. Park. But, like, this Dodgers-Red Sox matchup is, like, the best we could get right now, man. Hands down. Because yeah. of all the storylines you get in Boston. And then the Dodgers, man, there are a lot of, like, I feel like comparison. They're, they're comparable teams for sure with, like, you know, a lot of their guys having to go through the ringer, you know? Like, you talk about, like, Kimbrell and, like, Chris Sale mm-hmm. and, like, guys, like, fighting injuries on this 108-win team. And there was one point in the season where, like, the Dodgers were 10 games under 500. Justin Turner was yeah. hurt. When it was in September, I thought at best the Dodgers were going to be vying for a wild card spot. But then they play a mm-hmm. tiebreaker, they win their division, and, like, all of a sudden, like, we've just finished – um, these championship series, and we've seen Clayton Kershaw dominate, and we've seen David Price dominate. We've seen Yasiel Puig dominate. Man, there's so many personalities on both sides. Like, yeah. this is going to be an exciting World Series just because of, like, not only what's at stake, which is the obvious World Series, but because there are players on each side of this thing, man, that have been put through the ringer, you know, and things haven't went right. Yeah. And, I mean, they're, they're rebounding from it, man. And it's just a testament to, like, what both teams can do. And it's going to be super exciting for sure. Yeah, I'm, I, I think there's going to be a lot of good storylines, uh, you know, like the whole Manny Machado thing coming from Baltimore. And he's got some history there uh, with Chris Sale. Um, just the team in general. I, I don't, have you ever seen that press conference? where, I mean, literally every other word that Manny, Manny said was bleeped out talking about the pitch from Chris Sale. Oh, um, holy crap. I forgot about that because Chris Sale threw behind him. Mm-hmm. Holy yeah, shit. I completely yeah. forgot yeah. about that. Oh, yeah, that's going to be good. Yeah, man, there's some history there. Yeah. And, and, I mean, obviously, like, I, I've never been a Manny Machado fan. And, what you know, what he did there running down the line at first base um, – I mean, that's going to carry over. I mean, I, I, whatever it's good for, it's good for the headlines. It's good for the, uh, the world series for sure. But, um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely hope that we, we take it to them. Yeah. Dude, you want to know what though, man, on that Manny Machado where he like dusted up Jesus Aguilar running to first, dude, I don't mm-hmm. think I have a problem with that as I've watched this Dodgers Brewers series wrap up and I see like Yasiel Puig like breaking bats and then flipping bats and then doing like crotch chops like while he's rounding first base and then like what Manny Machado did dude I feel like these guys one they're obviously the two best villains in all of Major League Baseball that we get to watch in the World Series but also like I feel like it's like one big like mind game that like the Dodgers are doing to like the team that they're playing against, man. And like, that's what's even because like what he did to first base, like he didn't like maliciously. Here's what happened. I think on that play, man, Jesus Aguilar knew Manny Machado wasn't hustling. So Jesus stood on the bag and wasn't going to move. And then Machado got pissed because Jesus was on the bag. So he kind of like nicked him, man. And that's, why I love this World Series so much, man, is because, like, you've got, like, Machado and Puig, and there's so many personalities on both of these teams that, like, don't fit into, like, playing the game the right way, man. And that's sure. why, like, I think this World Series could be so good for baseball, dude, because you've got guys on both sides who are just electric, man, and it's going to be wild. Yeah. I think, I mean, going back to that, um, I, first of all, I think Machado is stupid for – 
actually doing it because uh, it's already, it's already dangerous enough running full steam ahead and having to step on an elevated surface of Mm -hmm. first base, let alone like running at, let's say he's running at, you know, 60% of, of his top speed and he steps on, you know, his ankle, like he could have rolled his ankle. It could have tripped him up. Like, and he could have actually seriously gotten hurt. I mean, you see that all the time. Oh, um, dude. I feel like it was the reason I didn't like it. I felt like it was a very, and baseball is, is especially with, you know, sliding into second sliding in the home, things like that. It's very soccer esque. Um, where it's like just the whole, uh, showmanship and drama of someone, you know, breaking a toenail or whatever. And I mean, it's like, it's like they tore their ACL or something and they make a huge deal about it. Um, and I get it. I mean, it's, it's, that's part of the sport and these guys are professionals and, and, um, I, you know, sometimes they're like, professional actors in a way uh, oh dude it was a very I mean, like it, lebron-esque type like flop when manny machado went into sure. jesus now like that was like you did that on purpose man just to get yeah. at him yeah uh, and i mean and again it like i just don't like manny so anything that he does i'm not gonna like now yeah. now yasiel puig on the other hand like i've never i've always liked him whenever oh, he him, hit that uh what was it in the eighth inning when he hit that like double, uh, and, but it, I mean, it wasn't a home run. It was just like a double. And he like flipped the bat and like put his hands up five feet from home plate as he was taking off for, for first. I was just like, Oh my gosh, this guy just, is like electric, man. Dude, he, he is, is man. Just, he doesn't care. Listen, I'll tell you this, man. If you haven't watched a ton of, if any anyone listening or you have not watched a ton of Dodgers baseball, dude, when Yasiel Puig's on, he's the biggest difference maker on that team, dude. I watched him stretch a sure. single into double. He stretched a single into a double against the Brewers in just this NLCS, dude. And it was electric, man. Like everyone was into it. I know his teammates see that, and he gets such a bad rap because, like. He'll break a bat over his knee, and then, like, he'll get in arguments with Madison Bumgarner when he's on the mound. But, like, I said this once before. Like, I want guys like that on my team, man. Like, and I don't even care. Like, and I agree with you, like, on the Machado thing. Like, I don't think – like, I don't – I don't have a problem with what Manny did because I know what he was doing. Like, when you're in a best-of-seven series with the same people day in and day out, like, you're going to get a little pissed. Like, whatever, man. Yeah. Um, If that was my first baseman, I'd be super mad. And if that was my shortstop, I'd be like, whatever, dude, buck up. Mm-hmm. But, dude, Puig's in yeah. a whole nother ball game, man. Like, that guy, like, he may – and you got to take the good with the bad, man, because, like – Vin Scully nicknamed him the wild horse because he's so unpredictable. And Puig is like in that same category as Javi Baez, where it's like, dude, you live by that energy and you die by that energy, man. And when that energy's off, everyone's pointing at fingers at Puig going, he's overpaid, he's bad for baseball when he does bad because the spotlight's always on him because he's not afraid to put himself out there and be like, dude, we're going to the World Series and I don't care. But, mm-hmm. dude, when he's hitting those balls and flipping his bat, like you said, and running straight out of the box, I'm like, dude, let that stuff go, man. Like, bring it on. Because if that guy's on my team, dude, I love every second of it. How, um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I'm hoping that, I, I'll say this also about 
the both series, the Astros and the Yankees series that we had. I, you know, I, I don't know if it was the TV audio, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Um, I tweeted out a couple of times about uh, the fans at Fenway. I felt like, and again, I've never, I've never been to a, I've never been to Fenway. I've never been to a playoff game at Fenway, but I've watched games on television since the nineties. And as technology has gotten better and they're picking up sound better, I'm I, there was definitely, definitely an audible difference in how loud Yankee stadium was. And, uh, minute Maid park was compared to, uh, Fenway. And obviously like Houston, that's a dome and everything. So the sound is going to reverberate more, but Yankee stadium is outside. Both stadiums, though, were way louder than Fenway. I need Fenway in in this World Series to be like it was in the '90s and the two thousand, in the early two thousands. Like the fans are literally going to kill some of the players from the opposing teams because I feel like that's going to be such a it should be such a huge advantage for us, and they need to win. They see. Uh, Yasiel Puig, and when they see Manny Machado coming out of the dugout to go onto the on deck circle, they need to be booing from start to finish. Dude, they're going to eat them alive, man. No doubt about it. They have to, man. Yeah, they have to, man. I, I just, I felt like Bill Simmons was talking about this on his podcast um, with a, a guy, a friend of his that's a Yankees fan, and uh, and he was saying that he feels like a lot of the Fenway crowd nowadays is just people that are kind of going to kind of go and be more and they're more and they're like younger and they're um, people that are not really as into baseball, just more of the idea of it and more of the idea of going to the first stadium, you know, ever built and going to, you know, going to Fenway. And that's really about it. They're not like the diehard, like tell me the fan, the Boston Red Sox fans that were going in 1998, 1999 and 2003, like 2004, before we had ever won a world series in almost a hundred years. Like those are, those were the fans that were like going to kill someone. I mean, those are like yeah, the Boston fans. Yeah. That I'm hope. Like, don't let me see you in the streets, really, son. I'll see you at donkeys. Exactly, man. Like the Yankee suck fans. Like yeah, I dude. want those fans just out in every single seat, uh, up there, just letting LA have it because I don't really think that there could, there's not a crowd in baseball. I think that could be like that. I just hope that Boston is that. Uh, next week. Dude, well, the stage is set for it, man, because you got a Dodgers team coming in that, one, these teams have never, ever played in the World Series. And two, it's mm-hmm. not like the Dodgers go to Fenway a lot, man. You got the East Coast right. and you got the West Coast. This is legit like Tupac and Biggie, man. Let it happen. Yeah. <laughs> and there's for sure, like, when you talk about like Dodger Stadium and Fenway Park, like, the team that has the biggest home field advantage, dude, has to be Boston, man. Like, hands down. Yeah. And what you said, man, that's Absolutely. what makes this so big. Because, dude, they're the bad guys are coming, man. Puig and Machado are yeah. coming, dude. And they're going to want to eat them alive, man. A hundred percent, dude. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this, man. Because you watch a ton of Boston Red Sox baseball, right? So outside yeah. of, like, J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts, who's the one guy... Okay, let's take out four guys. Let's take out J.D. Martinez, Mookie Betts, Jackie Bradley, 
and um, whatever. Let's just take out those three guys. Who's the guy mm-hmm. you're looking at right now that you say, if that guy hits good, that's not one of like our name brand guys, if he hits sure. good, we're in great shape. Who's that name in your head that you're thinking right now? It's uh, it's either Ben Intendi or Bogey X Man. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably lean the first name that comes to mind for sure is Xander. I just mm-hmm. really think that when when Xander's hitting well, um, I feel like it carries over. I mean, he's sitting right there in the good spot. I mean, I when Benny's hitting well, I mean, it's great too. That they're both kind of tied there. Benny sitting in that two spot. Um, I, yeah, I would probably go with Bogey. Um, he's a little bit further down in the lineup and I just like it whenever he's hitting well. And he's just got that swagger. I mean, I love bogey, man. He's like one, he's honestly like, I love Mookie. I, I love Mookie with like all of my heart, but dude, um, the guy, if, the, if you got a guy, <laughs> listen, dude, Mookie Betts is like five foot nine, right? Yeah. That was a <laughs> seven so foot wall in right field in Houston. Dude, that catch he jumped, I think he was four feet above the wall. Like, not yeah. only could he probably dunk like a 12 foot rim, but he can bowl a 300 game. <laughs> he can bowl, he can a, bowl a 300. What the hell is that, man? It's unbelievable, he, dude. I, yeah. I love, I mean, I, li- I literally love. Mookie Betts, like, love him. Dude, we could talk about two-sport athletes all day. Like, Bo can play football and baseball. Shohei Otani can pitch and hit. Like, Mookie can jump and bowl. So, like, get out of my face, man. Like, the guy's a bowler, dude. Like, man, he's got the fastest hands in the game. Dude, no one turns on a fastball faster than Mookie, man. Listen, man. That crap is scientifically proven, dude. I read The Cubs Way by Tom Verducci, and it talks about when Mm -hmm. Theo Epstein went to go meet Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts is from Brentwood, Tennessee, and Theo Epstein goes, and they give, like, Mookie Betts this test, which is like this hand-eye coordination test, right, to where, like, it's this Mm computer-simulated thing where basically, like, if you see something, you've got to, like, react and hit, like, a particular button. So, like, if A happens, you have to do B, so on and so forth. And they said his ability to do that and recognize, like, in a split of, like, a millisecond was off the Mm -hmm. charts, man. So him hitting for power and the player he's, like, grown to be, dude, this isn't Mm -hmm. like, oh, Mookie Betts is just another guy who's having an MVP season. Like, at this point, Mm -hmm. this is what you're getting with the guy because the raw his natural ability is so far off the chart as far as, like, mentally what he can decipher in such a short amount of time. But then when you've got the physical aspects of being able to jump like he does in the outfield – or like mm-hmm. his ability to barrel a ball is off the charts because there's no way at one point he was he was he missed a little bit of time this season I believe and if that hadn't yeah. happened because for a while he it was him and JD Martinez like one and two in the home run race and it's no accident oh, yeah. like this isn't like a Brady Anderson 50 home run season like this is all right. by design on like who this guy is and it's not going away man it's unbelievable dude yeah, it's. I mean, he really is what I think. Uh, especially some of the some of the outfielders are going to be looking like in the next five six years. As just like with any sport that changes, mm-hmm. you know, especially in basketball, like you, you you have these players that are six nine, the Kevin Durant's that are that are six nine and kind of lighter and can dribble and shoot threes and also post guys up. I mean, 
a five and a one, it's like all the same. And I feel like in baseball, it's kind of developing into that, um, that as well, where, where guys can be smaller and still hit for power and still have a cannon for an arm. That one play where he threw it without even a hop to second base um, to get, uh, I can't remember who was on, on the bag, but it was a, it, it was I mean, Tony he, Kemp. I mean, he, he, it was Tony Kemp, the little yeah, speedy guy Kemp, yeah, on the Astros. Right, that's right. left fielder. It, yeah. Yeah. He tried to, he tried to turn that single into a double and Mookie he hey, dude. nailed him. Dude. I'm going to tell you what, you um, want to know why that time spent in the bowling alley, man, the guy can thread a needle, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> that's it. Dude. I mean, it was on the money. I mean, and, and, and our outfield is, is the best outfield in, in the league. But I mean, I feel like everyone kind of has their, their thing. Like Ben and can cover a lot of ground. They all can cover a lot of ground. I mean, JBJ is the one that's known for the cannon arm that can throw it from basically the warning track, one hopper into, into a home plate and, and tag a guy out. But Mookie still got it, man. Mookie's the freak athlete. I love him. Um, So we're talking about Mookie though. Let me ask you Q. What, what are we going to do in LA? What are we going to do with JD with the DH? I mean, there's, I'm sure you've seen that the whole Mookie playing second mm-hmm. uh, rumor is kind of going around. Um, I don't know, man. I'm um, I, I want to hear your thoughts on that first. So Mookie's going to have to play second base. So JD can play the outfield. Right. That's what's going to happen. I mean, here's the thing. Like, J.D. Martinez played in that division last year, so he's probably seen, like, Kershaw. I mean, that they're going to go up against Kershaw, Ryu. He hasn't seen much of Walker Bueller because he didn't pitch last year. Um, I guess, one, if, like, I think that's a good idea, 100%, right? Like, J.D. Martinez yeah. has to be in that lineup because Manny yep. Machado and, like, Mike Trout aside – J.D. Martinez is the best hitter in baseball. And not only that, but he's seen these Dodgers pitchers, at least what's left from last Mm -hmm. year, more than any of the other Red Sox have, right? So they're going to probably see Clayton Kershaw game one and Walker Buehler game two. Now, I don't know if they've ever faced Walker Buehler at all because he's a rookie this season. And and so this is like his first full year, right? And – if they've seen Clayton a few times, I think Clayton's kind of like running along the like what David Price has done, where he's like kind of getting a lot of these monkeys off his back and starting to pitch a little yeah. good. But for some reason, man, and I never thought I'd say this because I've always bashed David Price forever. I have more faith in David Price than I do Clayton Kershaw. And I think the Red Sox can hit Clayton Kershaw and I'm nervous for that to happen because like, because I love good baseball and like, I want good stuff to happen. Like I want Clayton Kershaw to pitch good in game one, but I'm not as convinced that'll happen as I am that David Price is going to pitch a game two, but I could see Walker Bueller giving the Red Sox trouble when he faces them because oftentimes if a team's never seen mm-hmm. a pitcher, that advantage will always go to the pitcher. Now mm-hmm. I've time in and time out this season compared Walker Bueller to Mark Burley. Mark Burley is one mm-hmm. of my favorite pitchers of all time. This is a guy that had like 13 seasons of over 200 innings pitched lifetime ERA of mm-hmm. like 3.8. 
He's perfect game under his belt, man. And like his mound presence was off the charts, man. He attacks. Yeah. He doesn't shake off his catcher. He has this. Uh, he had this unwavering confidence of what he could do on the mound, and he was a quick worker. And that's how Walker Bueller is, man. He's a Vanderbilt kid, and Vandy, like David Price, man. Vandy puts out good pitchers. The kid got like a thirty on his ACT, man. It comes from like a family of geniuses. Throws high nineties doesn't waste time on the mound and has a very, very dominant mound presence. So game one and game two, Clayton Kershaw is going to pitch game one in Fenway. And Mm -hmm. I think the Red Sox will win that game. But if Walker Bueller comes out for game two and that's a Bueller, that'll be actually, that'll be a phenomenal Vandy matchup, man. Because if game two comes Mm -hmm. Vanderbilt's David Price and Vanderbilt's Walker Bueller, I think the Dodgers can very much win that game. Um, yeah. Because of just the well, stuff that Walker has, man, is so, so good. Um, yeah. But I, I think well, they'll hit Kershaw will. for sure. And then when they go to Los Angeles, man, that's where, like, everything's kind of up in the air for me on the Dodgers because, like, they've got a guy, Hinjin Ryu, who had some really mm-hmm. good starts this postseason. But the last time he went out against the Brewers got rocked for, like, five runs. And he's the guy that, right. like, I know the least amount about, but I know he's a good pitcher as well, man. Um, I don't know much beyond those three guys. If I'm, like, if you've got a game three matchup of, like, Rick Porcello and Hinjin Ryu, that might be the game you see that finishes, like, 10 to 12 or something like that. You know what I mean? Where you yeah. really get into some bullpens yeah. and some guys bashing some balls. Um, I'm excited for game one, though, I man. To see Sale Kershaw match up. Dude, it's going to be – I hope it's a pitcher's duel, man. Like, because I love – like, a postseason pitcher's duel, like when you had, like, John Smoltz and Jack Morris, like, in the 92 World Series or oh, something yeah. like that, where the game was 1-2. to two. Sure. There's nothing more I want in my life than Sale and Kershaw to go, like, eight innings apiece, one run. And oh, that wow. game one might be your 13-inning. We have to be up all night calling for work the next day game. <laughs> man, I'm not too sure, but it could be bad. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to see that. I want to see us jump out to like a six nothing lead in the yeah. second. But uh, but for baseball purposes, yeah, of course it'll be great. And I, I I think that it could have the potential to be something like that. I always think, and in the last few years, from like what I can like readily remember off the top of my head, it feels like some of the first uh, World Series games are a little bit. Uh, lower scoring because teams are really trying to fill the other team out. And it's, uh, it just comes down to more of like a a strategy and, and trying to prepare for the long haul rather, rather than just, you know, there's so much on the line, right? I mean, you kind of got to always go into it with the expectation of like, this is a seven game series. We got to win four of them and hopefully we can win those four as fast as we can. But because the world series is just so different kind of hard for even us as fans to sort of game plan around like how the managers are going to go about it, especially with the pitching staff. Yeah. Uh, Cause both of these managers think, uh, do things that other managers won't do. They'll pull a guy after yeah. fourth. They'll do whatever they got to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I think that's where just the postseason itself um, has, has just really given our guys, 
an enormous amount of confidence that I didn't know existed. I mean, uh, and just the way that Cora is using them, um, it's, it's fat. It's honestly, man, it's fascinating. It is dude. Uh, The way that. Yeah. Completely fascinating, man. Like putting David price and Chris sale and Rick Porcello twice out of the bullpen against the Astros, dude, there, mm-hmm. there's, yeah, like you said, man, there's not a spreadsheet for that. Like, what planet is Alex Cora on, dude? Like, we're all yeah. playing that stupid game at Cracker Barrel and leaving like three or four pegs on the hook. And like, he's, and he's like yeah. solving multiple Rubik's cubes behind his back. Like, yeah. he's, he's like yeah. on a Blind whole nother, yeah. dude, he's living on Mars right now. Like, he's Elon Musk, he dude, is. just like thinking all this crazy yeah. stuff, dude. It's, dude, it's yeah. impressive, like you said, man. Yeah, I, I mean, at the end of the day, what what I hope that we can see is kind of similar to Game Five, where the, our starter can go a solid uh, six innings. Hopefully, uh, you know, five would be great. I always love, you know, anytime we can get through five, uh, especially with our guys uh, as starters. It, it just really frees up yeah. uh, some of the options that you have whenever the series goes longer. Um, and, you know, plus our force, you know, our four starters with, with Evaldi, Ricky Porch and sale and price, um, you know, I like that rotation, but with the turnaround, you know, that's the thing that's interesting about it. The two, three, two format is that if Chris sale is going to pitch game one, and then he potentially would have to pitch, uh, you know, game five, that's always is what's scary to me. Um, I don't obviously know how he's going to be pitching in LA. Uh, I kind of hope that that, yeah, I, you know, all I'm trying to say is that I just hope that Tuesday night, whenever he's out there, he can go a solid, you know, 90 pitches, six and just, you know, 90 pitches that are solid to kind of stress-free and just sets him up for success later on down in the, in the series, whenever we potentially might need him um, and keep that bullpen fresh, because even at the end of the day, I mean, I'm still worried about the, the bullpen uh, depth just because of the struggles that I've seen all year long. But as long as these guys are going out and doing what they did, especially against Houston, man, uh, I like our chances. I really do. That Houston series. That's man. Um, I think the Astros are a historically great team. And off the top of my head, man, I don't know if I can think of a more dominant victory over a team that was that good, for one. Yeah. And then two. Every single person that grabbed a bat, every single person in their lineup, man, scared the crap. I literally thought every single person could hit a home run at any point. Yeah, they can because Marwin Gonzalez, like, bats eighth, and he's a switch hitter, and he can hit a home run whenever mm-hmm. he wants, dude. Tony Kemp's, like, this young stud they got coming up who's, like, he's just a little short, like, hustler guy, man. And the guy can hit, dude. Yeah. He's he's a good player, man. He's a confident player. And there's, um, man, dude, I mean, they're just – you talk about like Correa, Altuve, Springer, um, the Tony Kemp kid. Every single person. It's, I mean, it just doesn't stop, dude. It really doesn't. But no, if it I'm really look, didn't. Yeah. One thing, dude, and I'm going to tell you this, man, because you're a Red Sox guy, dude. In your favor, the Dodgers struggle against lefties, man. 
And when yeah. you talk about sale and price at that one, too, I think sale will go seven innings and might give up two runs tops in that game one, man. I think he'll be on. <laughs> I book. I mean, yeah. I just, they don't see, I mean, you figure it like this, man, they don't see sale a whole lot. A lot of their mm-hmm. power bats in that lineup that they live off of are like Cody Bellinger, who's a lefty, Max Muncie, who's a lefty. Um, I sure. mean, in my opinion, like I think there's there's zero shot, I think, that the Dodgers win game one just because they're going to be up against a buzzsaw, man. I'm knocking on wood um, right now, man. Because you should. You should. That. But that's as if, um, you know, we all got to pray, you know, positive prayers, positive vibes to Chris Sale's <laughs> belly button ring. Um, listen, we all go to Hot Topic and really get like zoned in on like the jewelry section. Um, I imagine Chris Sale was at spring break in Daytona one year. He's a, he's a fairly lean guy, so he probably has a six-pack of abs. Had to get his belly button ring in. Chris Sale's a different dude, man. I, I literally love that he told Bob Nightingale that, man, I just got a belly button ring and the thing got infected, and it's really not a big deal. Yeah, and I never saw the interview because I don't think it was, like, aired live. I think it was just, like, on an audio tape or something. Yeah, and I'm pretty was, sure he yeah. said it with a straight face, and Bob Nightingale was straight up like – um, that's his story, and he's sticking to it, man. Like, he's not saying anything else. And between that and, like, cutting his jersey into pieces when he was in Chicago, I'm like, dude, that guy's awesome, oh man. Like, what a dude. But he went he to did. college. Yeah. He went to college in Florida, man. So, man. Dude, he, dude, he's a wild dude. But I hope the best for him, man, because in that game one that he pitched against the Astros, he wasn't himself, man. And he said no. that, like, he didn't have any stomach problems during that start, but that's not true. Right, the sale you saw, he yeah, probably I, like crapped his brains out right before. Dude, he looked lethargic. He's got dude. He did. Chris Sale, man, he, was a rookie when Mark Burley was a White Sox man. That guy, Chris Sale's like dominant stuff with how he handles himself on the mound. He learned from one of the best. In that game one, he wasn't there, dude. But I expect no. it in full force on Tuesday, man. It's gonna be there. And when uh, I think it was game. Right before game three, uh, there were just some photos that, that popped up. Um, like he had flown in to Houston separately, and there were just some photos of him walking across the field in, in uh, you know, normal clothes, street clothes. Mm-hmm. And he looked, I swear, man, I mean, he's a, t- he's a thin guy anyways, but I looked at him and I was like, oh my gosh, you've lost like 10 pounds, man. You look like Christian Bell in The Machinist, man. It was just like. Oh, yeah. Dude. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like literally I'm <laughs> Christian Bale in the machine. Quite Dude, con- he weighed like 80 pounds in that movie, man. That's not a good look. I, I'm like quite concerned about you right now, but I don't know really what it is, honestly, like what it could have been. I'm hoping, I mean, <clears throat> my theory is that and the only reason I know this is because I've had to go to the ER one time for a stomach thing. It was, I literally thought like my appendix was bursting because that's what, um, someone told me at the time they were like, do you have pain on your left side? And like, when you exhale, does it hurt? I was like, yes, yes. It feels like my left side is about to explode. Um, I I'm wondering if it was something like that or if it was food poisoning, because whatever it was, man, it had to be bad enough for him to go to the ER. And that just doesn't happen like out of nowhere. Yeah. Unless it was food poisoning. That's really the only thing is like, I can think of. I assume it was food poisoning or the stomach flu. And he's like, we're playing for a World Series. I'm a major league athlete. Like, let's go to the hospital, stick an IV in me, and let's do this thing. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't worry about him at all, dude. But, I mean, he's a stud, dude. Like, I haven't watched him pitch a ton mm-hmm. 
as a Red Sox, but I mean, I did as a White Sox dude, and he's like a straight up take no prisoners guy for sure, man. Um, no, let's wrap this up thing there, up just yeah. about. We're at fifty one minutes. There's one other thing I wanted yeah, to ask sure, you. Man. Oh, here's what I was. Oh, I was going to tell you about the lefties because the LA Dodgers don't hit lefties. Okay, my pick to click on a non name brand Red Sox is Steve Pierce, dude. I love Steve Pierce. Mm-hmm. And actually, the Steve Pierce-Mitch Moreland, like, first base combo, dude, those guys, man, like, nobody really talks about them. And, you know, honestly, nobody really talks about Xander. Dude, the guy drove in over 100 runs, and he's batting cleanup, mm-hmm. dude. He, he, Dude, he's a strong yeah. guy on the team. But, dude, I love that Steve Pierce-Mitch uh, Moreland combo because, one, like – they had like Hanley Ramirez and I completely forgot that Hanley was a Red Sox this season until someone brought yeah. him up like a couple yeah. weeks ago. I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. Hanley yeah. Ramirez. But dude, like that Steve Pierce play where he went full WWE into the other team's dugout and like damn near broke his back on the bench. What, and then, what a stuff. Dude. And then those guys on first base, like dude, Steve Pierce can stretch, bro. Like he's been in a gymnastics class previously, man. He is a stud at first. And I'm looking 100%. at like both of yeah. these teams going for the Dodgers. Like my guys, Yasiel Puig and for the Red Sox, like my guy, Steve Pierce. And if those guys are mm-hmm. producing, like, just watch out, man. Because those are, like, those aren't your main guys, but, like, those support guys, if they come through, like, they feed the rest of the team, man. Mm-hmm. Because they might bat a little lower in the order. And then when you're flipping yep. back around to the first and you're, like, creating, anytime you can create runs from the bottom of the order or get guys on base for when, like, Mookie sure. or, like, Justin Turner comes up to the plate, like, you're doing pretty good. And this is the I think yeah, this is the best it, one mean, series we could have got, man. It's it's going to be interesting to see like the lineup, especially for Game One at first base, because Steve Pierce has been playing defense so well. Uh, oh, and I'll get to rant about this for a second on that topic because we have the worst third base defenders in the history of yeah. baseball with uh, Nooney and uh, and uh, Big Scoops McGee over there. Mm-hmm. Um, that can't just throw it right, you know, into his glove. That's why Steve is always so good at stretching out because he, yeah. he has to do it all the time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Moreland was battling that hamstring thing. So I'm just wondering what this time off and uh, maybe the rehab is done to how much activity he's going to be back because they, I mean, he, uh, he pinch hit him um, uh, game four and five, maybe, Um so that was, I mean, that was interesting because the the commentators would say something about Moreland and about how his hamstring, and the next thing you know, he's like in the batter's box. And I was like, whoa, what? I mean, I thought he was really hurting there. But um, it'll be interesting to see the lineup for uh, game one, where Moreland's at, uh, and then uh, and then who's going to start uh, at second with uh, Kinsler and Holt. Um mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm always curious about the Holt thing because like, you know, the guy bats the cycle and then he doesn't play the next day. That was interesting to me. I mean, yeah, it worked man. out. Mm-hmm. Kinsler had a really good game five. Um, and then over at third base, I mean, I don't know, we could put a, a broomstick out there and it would probably do the job. <laughs> quite Dude, honestly. As long as he'll stop the ball from going in the outfield and they can just lob something hard to pierce and put it within like 10 feet from the guy, like <laughs> he mm. might get the ball, dude. Um, but that's nuts with that whole Brock Holt thing, man. Like I forgot about that, but I mean, dude, 
I don't yeah. think anyone's playing their cards better at this cycle. point, man. Yeah. Guy hits a cycle in the postseason, man. It's uh, never been done until now. So Dude, it's been we got awesome, a lot man. of good juju on our side, brother. Indeed, man. Juju. Indeed. Well, we'll wrap this thing up, man. Dude, thanks a ton. Um, well, dude, I imagine we'll probably talk in a couple days. Like now that I have my audio set back up, man, we can do this just often. Um, but I think sure. this gigs Tuesday at eight o'clock, man. Oh, one last thing I was going to ask you, dude. Does Mitch, uh, Mitch Moreland, is he a lefty? Yeah. So, so Steve Pierce is a righty, I think. And so Steve Pierce will probably play game yep. one, I would imagine. But Eduardo Nunez, yeah. is he a righty though? Uh, I think he might be. Yeah, Nooney's a righty. Yeah, and Nooney was a giant for a while, so it means he's seen he a Kershaw giant, a little yeah. bit. So I wouldn't be mm-hmm. surprised, I guess, if they were just going to run Nooney at third if he's healthy enough and then put Pierce at first because of that lefty matchup. Because, um, mm-hmm. I mean, Kershaw's been pitching pretty good, man. Like, his velo's down some, but his curveballs have been working nuts, dude. I swear to God I saw a curveball that he threw last week that like looked like it was going to hit the guy's helmet and it immediately dropped off like an airplane disappearing in the Bermuda triangle. So I would hey, imagine. Any I mean, t- he, yeah. He tries to be as good as Matt Barnes. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Matt, Bar- <laughs> Matt Barnes threw in the seventh, a curveball that I, it was going straight towards like the height of the umps face mask. Yeah. And drop down for a strike, for a strike three against, gosh, who was that? That was the end of the inning, too. Uh, it, it, was it Bregman or it was one of the, it was either like mm-hmm. Bregman or Correa. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was so hyped. That thing, like, just had, <laughs> it, was, it was wicked, man. Hopefully Kershaw just pitches like he did in game one. 100%, man. Okay. It wasn't game. Oh, game one, he got popped in game one. He yeah. didn't make it through yeah. the fourth inning in game one. That was it for sure. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, yeah. man, we're going to close this thing out with um, – okay, give me a second. We're going to close tweets from Cody – or excuse me, text messages from Cody. Okay, here's what we have. Um, okay. What the hell is happening? David Price is in the pen. What in the actual shit? Um, <laughs> Kimbrell might literally kill me tonight. This fucking game won't be over till 1 a.m. at this rate. Um, hold on. What Which else? It was like it was like 12.45, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, that, I mean, dude, it was it. Okay, have I mentioned how much I hate Bregman lately? Uh, <laughs> Bregman was a jerk this whole... Dude, he's one of the best players in all of baseball, man. That guy's a little hustler, too. It, that's, that's... Yeah, I mean, I just hate... I hated him because, I mean... He had one bad play at third base out of five games, man. Yep. And we hit the ball more to third base than any other uh, position on the field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, JD is killing me. I hate this game. I think I, ha- I, think I hate Bregman more than anyone on the Yankees. Um, that's it, man. We'll close it out at that, dude. I'll read more next episode, man. But other than that, dude, have a good night. And... Um, do I have anything else? No. This, oh, this has been an absolutely stupid waste of four fucking hours. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> See you, dude. Oh, how the hell do I stop this?